Hi, and welcome to the Big Deep Podcast. Big Deep is a podcast about people who have a connection to the ocean. People for whom that connection is so strong, it defines some aspect of their life. Over the course of the series, we'll talk to all sorts of people. And in each episode, we'll explore the deeper meaning of that connection. In this episode, I speak with a woman who has spent her career diving in nuclear power plants. Hello, this is Paul Kelway. And I'm Jason Elias. Welcome to the Big Deep Podcast. Most people who choose diving as a career might tell you that the job puts some pretty hard demands on them. But our next story comes from someone for whom those demands are at the extreme end of the spectrum. In fact, so extreme that in a normal day of work, she runs the risk of nuclear contamination. My name is Kira Richter, and I was a commercial nuclear diver. What does that actually mean? What do you do? So what a nuclear diver does could be looked at as being a glorified pool cleaner. You're basically just cleaning a lot of systems and structures in a power plant. But there's also technical jobs. A lot of modifications can only take place with water in the system. You can't drain them. Installing new equipment, a lot of inspections, welding. There's a little bit of everything there. So would you mind talking me through some of the general things you have to do to keep that plant running? For example, I know that you're up near Lake Michigan and somehow the plant pulls water in from the lake at times and what that means for you? In order to operate a plant, you have to show that they're always ready to provide cooling. And that is the most essential thing. You've got to keep that reactor covered with water. The primary system water, it comes from the outside. The plant has to find ways to cool it. That's where that lake water or sea water or river water comes in. So you end up with pretty long tunnels that draw water all the way from Lake Michigan into the tunnels that go underneath the condensers. So that does end up being like a penetration dive. It's very similar to cave diving in that sense. You're in places that have no light whatsoever. And because we're drawing water from open sources, you're going to end up drawing in whatever lives in that water. Mussels have become a bit of a pest, and you have to clean those surfaces. Because how do you inspect the integrity of a structure if you can't look at the structure, right? So you dive through these tubes in darkness, and how narrow are these tubes? They're actually pretty wide because they have to let in a big, big volume. You need a lot of water. So your tunnel has to be very wide. Some plants have tunnels that are pretty narrow, and there's been somewhere, yes, only the smaller people can fit into. But in general, they're very big. They're just long and deep and, and dark. What attracted you to this job, to doing this kind of diving? What attracted me about commercial diving was that I have a curiosity for things. I mean, show me an, a component or a machine, and I just always loved looking at the exploded view of it. What makes it? What puts it together? So it all started when I was cave diving. Then I became cave certified. So I was inside a cave, and we were pretty far in. And this is one of those things that just get narrower as you go down it. Are you crazy? But I started going in there, and the opposite of fear, reservation that you would have about doing something, at that moment, it was like, oh, this is what I want to do. I want to actually be working. I want to be challenged. I want to be doing something, solving something, fixing something. 
It's interesting because you talk about cave diving that freaks a lot of other people out. And for you, it actually kind of engaged you because anyone listening to this will probably never, ever have that kind of unique life experience. Could you talk me through one of the dives that you took into a plant? The only way I can describe it, it looks like Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome. In order to get into it, it's a tunnel, maybe 18 inches wide, and you have to crawl through it. And then once you crawl through it, you are at elevation. You're about 30 feet above the water level. So they have to build a scaffold structure. You go down these ladders and they build a little area there where you can put your dive equipment. And then you go and dive inside. It's all made of metal and it's got bolts and hangers and everything underwater poking out. And it's a circle. Picture a hollow donut and you're diving inside the donut. But it's contaminated water. It was really, truly dirty. You could not see. It was not built with the intention of having people come in and do maintenance on it. Maybe we think it's not gonna be in use as long as it is. We will advance. It was just full of rust and very thin silt over the years that collected. Humanity can be a little bit arrogant or overconfident. Building something, thinking this is never going to break or need it to be fixed. So they make me go all the way to the other end of the donut and... So wait, the, the, the nuclear reactor is in the center of this? Yes, that's correct. The nuclear reactor is in the center, but it's not part of the system. And there's pipes connecting that. When I did work in the boiling water reactor, I did have an instance where I did get contaminated. But because there's so many controls on that kind of plant, there's less likelihood that you would get contaminated. And the reason I got contaminated was because of my insistence on having long hair. I actually got a strand of hair that got caught between the helmet and the helmet seal and the outside. So then I go diving and my little strand of hair was floating in the dirty water for about three hours. The radiation protection technician was holding a pair of scissors going, we're either gonna cut your hair or you can wash it with ivory soap. And I said, I will wash it with ivory soap. And I had to wash it five times, but it came out. But that's very, very rare. <laughs> That's amazing because I'm sure I would have panicked and been just cut my hair off, whereas you were much calmer about it and said, yeah, you know, I think I'll just take a shower. But there is a story I'd like to go back to. It's a story you told me when I first contacted you before we did the interview, and you told me of a time that you'd actually dived in the tank that usually contained the nuclear rods, and you said it had had an impact on you. Could you tell us that story now? This dive that was so life-changing was swimming in the 
spent fuel pool water and what they call the refueling pool. But I have to be clear, it's not fueled. It could never be fueled with you in there. So what you do is you empty out the reactor, you defuel it. And what I was actually there to do was something very menial. You know, when you look at a reactor, if you think of it as a pressure cooker, because that's basically what it is. And you remove the top of that pressure cooker and you put it in a pool of water. You have to flood everything with water. And at one point we had to do some work on that top of the pressure cooker. So you are in the same pool of water as a reactor. And at one point you've got a little bit of a lull and I'm waiting and I just turn around and I realize I can see the opening to the reactor. That moment of wonder, that was a feeling of, I'm in this pool and it's stainless steel, so it's all shiny and clean. But then you look 20 feet away from where I was and there's a perfect round opening that leads into the reactor. But that pressure cooker is there. And when they dim the light, you do see that glow. It's a beautiful, beautiful violet blue glow. And, and I just, I think that moment I just was transformed into a little kid that's when I turned around and I looked and I took that moment to step back and just realized where I was. And I said, you know, I can tell you this for sure. I, I, I always felt like I wanted to be able to do something special. And that was that moment. It was just so impressive, just so big, everything around you. It's just everything that mankind has done. I really like that moment. Finally, we end every interview and every episode by asking a single open-ended question of everyone we talked with. What does the ocean mean to you? Life. It means to me this connectedness with, with our planet, with everything. Yeah, to me it means life and I wasn't very confident person. I'm a little bit shy. But when you go in the water, none of that matters and nothing is judging you and you can just be the most beautiful, graceful creature there is there. For me, it's just I feel like there's a connection between me and water that will always be there. And I love that. Thank you for listening to the Big Deep Podcast. Next time on Big Deep. Kelp forests are like going into a cathedral. It's sort of open and the light trickling through the kelp, especially the canopy when it's folded over the top, really is like it's coming through a stained glass window. It's really beautiful to see. We really appreciate you being with us on this journey to the Big Deep as we explore an ocean of stories. If you like what we were doing, please make sure to subscribe, like, and comment on our show in iTunes, Overcast, SoundCloud, or wherever you catch your podcasts. But those subscribes and likes really make a difference. For more info on our guests, 
extra audio and photos, as well as updates on anything you've heard. You can find a lot more content at our website, bigdeep.com. Plus, if you know someone you think we should talk to, just let us know at the Big Deep website, as we are always looking to hear more stories from interesting people who are deeply connected to our world's oceans. Thanks again for joining us.